Morning, Lake Gibson family and friends. Welcome. Welcome, Facebook and YouTube family and friends. I mean, go ahead and make some noise. You can do that. It's fine. Yes, all right. Thank you. We are glad that you joined us today, whether you're here in person or whether you're online or perhaps even watching at a later date. Thank you for joining us, and I sincerely pray that God will bless your time with us this day. If you're new to our service here, especially if you're online, uh, we have a connection card at our website online, LakeGibsonUMC.com. If you will go fill out that connection card, give us some brief information. There's a list, I believe it's seven charities there. If you'll check the charity of your choice that's on there, we will donate $10 in your name to that charity. And thank you even now for doing that, and thank you for your generosity to those charities. Uh, if you'd like to get in touch with us, email would probably be the best way. Our email address is office at lakegibsonumc.com, or you can send it to me at pastor at lakegibsonumc.com. Of course, our phone number is there, 863-858-5431. Please do remember that we, the office is closed on Fridays. Um, of course, we try to post upcoming events on the web page, as well as on our Facebook page and YouTube page, so check those out. Immediately following this service, there will be a Zoom meeting. We call it Zooming the Peace, where you can gather, especially if you're online, you can gather and talk to one another, converse, see what things are going on. Uh, that's hosted by uh, Dwight and Phyllis Kitchens, and we appreciate them doing that. Also at Zoom at 9.15, you can join Sunday school class with Ms. Sue. Uh, and I teach a Bible study. We'll be in 1 Corinthians chapter 16 at 1 o'clock on Thursdays. All of those Zoom links are on the website. Just go to the website, click that particular link, and it will take you right to it. This time I'd like to do something special. Lynn, would you and Shirley come up, please? And Rick and Debbie, would you come up? And I'm going to ask Lynn and Shirley if you'll stand on this side, and Debbie if you'll, and Rick if you'll stand on that side, just so we can kind of be safe. You, you're going to talk, so you're going to... Huh? Okay. Okay. All right. Anybody been to Disney World? You've been to the Mary Hatters? Well, we've got the Mary Matters here. Uh, and they're, they're producing these mats that you see across the uh, rails up here. They're made out of plastic bags. The Walmart bags, public bags, Target bags, other bags that you get. It takes 1,500, is that correct? to make a full-size one, and we're giving those out to people that are homeless to put down as a ground mat. It's plastic to keep the moisture from coming up and to give them some heat and other things. And what day do you do this? At, from 10 o'clock to about 12 every, every Wednesday in the FLC and 1 and 2. They're doing this. If you'd like to crochet these, they'll teach you how. Well, you don't have to. You, don't have, you, know, you have to learn how to tie a knot. If, if they come, you'll show them how to do this. And we're giving these to the Hope House, and Rick and Debbie are our representatives there. And did you want to say anything about the Hope House or those that, that receive these? We do want to thank the ladies so much because, especially now that the rain is starting, these are invaluable to people to put under their sleeping bag and uh, just don't know what a difference it makes in their lives. It's really terrific. Thank you very much. I know what a difference it made when I was in a tent that had water in it. I went and bought a travel trailer. 
<laughs> but yes, it does help it drastically. So that's a ministry that's going on in the church that you're funding. If you would like to bring these plastic bags in, I know everybody gets them from Walmart, Plubix, Tret, wherever you go. There's a box out front, correct? And we also, it's, it's in the FLC. And you can also bring them to our office when we're open. We have a box over there that we keep them in. So thank you all for that. But before you go, I want to pray over these mats, okay? Father, as we come before your throne of grace, I thank you for these ladies. I thank you for this ministry. I thank you for those that have donated and spent their time to make these ground claws, these ground mats, if you will. I pray for each one of them that even now, that has that person that receives this, gets it, may their life be blessed. May you keep them warm, may you keep them dry, but even more, may they feel your love and the love of God in these as they receive these, and may they learn of your goodness, your mercy, and your grace. And may you just continue to lift them up from wherever they may be and take them to a better place to where they have uh, the things they need and they can tell others too about the goodness of Jesus Christ. We ask in your name, amen. Thank you, Lynn, Shirley, Debbie, Rick. Amen. You can, you can do that. So does that mean we're ready to worship God? Well, pray with me one more time. Lord, we just come into your fellowship now, into your presence. We sit at your feet as Mary did. Speak to us. Let us just praise you from the bottom of our hearts with everything we have. Let us just jump for joy, shout for goodness, and, and scream hallelujah. Because of the empty tomb, we ask in your name, amen. Okay, Lake Gibson, Yukon Barber, Jack, Dottie and Jim, Julie, Karen, Cindy, Joyce, Linda, Betty, the Wesleys, Sally, Barbara Knight, Jack, and whoever else is on here. Welcome, we're glad to have you. Yeah, yeah what, they're still coming in. Glad to have you. Um, Oh, if you're online, go ahead and share this with somebody. Send, send a message to somebody. Tell them, hey, you need to go listen to this. Last week was Easter. Big celebration, right? Supposedly. The biggest week of the church, if you will. The main event. I've said this before. I'll say it again. Christmas means nothing without the resurrection, without Easter. Doesn't matter. Okay, somebody came to earth for us, they died, they were killed, and they didn't do nothing else. Doesn't mean nothing. The resurrection is the crux of Christianity. And yet, and yet within our churches, even the Methodist church, as well as the Baptist and Pentecostals, we have people that say the physical resurrection did not happen. We have preachers that say that. And I just think, are you kidding me? If you don't believe in the resurrection, what the heck can you preach? You can't preach anything. What do you do? Just preach positive thinking or power of positive thinking or something? And that's, that's not a slam against Norman Vincent Field. I'm, I'm not, that, that's just words out of my mouth. You know, what do you preach if you don't preach the resurrection? You have no power. Without the resurrection, there's no hope. Without the resurrection, there's no assurance that God is supreme. Without the resurrection, how could you ever think you were going to live eternally? Preachers, do me a favor. If you preach in a Christian organization and you don't believe in the resurrection, resign today. In our book of United Methodist Worship, 
it talks to us about Sundays. And this is one of the things it says about Sundays. And it says this particularly within Lent so that you get the message. Remember, Lent was supposed to be a time when we're introspective, when we're talking about the things we need to give up, when we're thinking about our sin. And yet it says, the 40 days of Lent shall not include Sundays because every Sunday should be a little Easter. Every Sunday should be a little, if you will, memory for us that the tomb's empty. That Jesus Christ is alive forevermore. It should be a, a day when we can come together and we can talk about that and we can offer eternal life and the gospel to others and point ourselves as well as others to the love of God. Well, let's get to the crux of the day. Last week, last week I used John's account of the resurrection that's found in chapter 20 to talk about the empty grave, Jesus' resurrection, if you will. And in there, in John chapter 20, we read these verses in 6, and, six through 9. Excuse me just a minute. I'm, gonna, I'm afraid I'm fixing to hit that. It says, Simon Peter came following him. The him was John, by the way. And Simon went into the tomb. He saw the linen wrappings lying there and the cloth that had been on Jesus' head. Not lying with the wrappings, but rolled up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, that would be John, who reached the tomb first, also went in. He saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. John says he saw and believed. And I'm thinking, what the heck did you believe, John? Anybody else ever ask those questions? Or am I the only one that thinks this way? You know, it... it Verse 9 says you didn't have the resurrection grasped in your mind yet, so what did you believe, John? Now, now you and I both know, we know the rest of the story. We know that Jesus is going to walk through that upper room later that day, and he's going to say, go ahead. See, here's my nail prints. Here's the spear in my side. It's me. And they're going to come to believe, and he's going to eat with them, and he's going to talk to them, and he's going to share with them, and he's going to feed them fish on a beach. And they're going to be with him at the when he's carried up to heaven. But what did he believe? And to figure out what he believed, I want to do two things. I want to look at 1 John, the epistle which he wrote, and the gospel of John. Now, before we do that, or as we're doing that, we need to recognize something. Scholars claim, this is what I had to put for the test, Okay. When was the Gospel of John written? For the test, I had to put 70 to 90 A.D. Most scholars will say the way we have it, we got it probably at 90 A.D., the way we understand it today. But it was in existence before that, orally. They were telling stories. Well, then suddenly they figured out that, hey, wait, these apostles are dying. We better write this stuff down, so we got it. Okay? So what the scholars say is, the Gospel of John was written down, not that it wasn't out there verbally, was written down somewhere between 70 and 90 A.D. And the epistle of John, 1 John, was probably between 95 to 110. That's what I had to put for the test. Okay? But let's remember that he said we, he believed. So let's see what he believed. Let's start with 1 John 1. He's writing this. He says, we declare to you what was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at, what we have touched with our hand 
concerning the word of life. John said, I'm an eyewitness to these things. I've seen them. I've heard them. I've experienced them. I've been there. This is not something I'm, I'm just telling you about that I've heard about. This is something I experienced, if you will. Well, has he always to believe like this? Has he always to believe that he was an eyewitness to something that was from the very beginning? And that something, by the way, is Jesus Christ. Well, look at how he started off his gospel. John chapter 1, he says, In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. This is pretty close to what John's writing here in 1 John that he wrote in 70 A.D. when he wrote the Gospel of John in it. So John said, I'm believing that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that He was with God at the beginning. That, that's what we teach, isn't it? Isn't that what we say? So he's giving testimony to this, if you will. He got it. He got the fact that Jesus was God's Son, that Jesus was the Messiah. And he's telling us that. Continuing in 1 John, he writes this. This life, that being Jesus' life, was revealed and we've seen it and we testify to it. And we declare to you the eternal life that was with the Father was revealed to us. Pay special attention to what he said there. The eternal life that was with the Father, that being Jesus, was revealed to us. I want you to think with me a minute. If he's referring to Jesus Christ, which I believe he is, I know he is, if Jesus is eternal life, there's no way eternal life is going to stay in a grave. Eternal life can't die. Eternal life can't be held down. He said Jesus Christ could not be held down. There was no way because he was with the Father from the beginning and he is the eternal life and we've seen it. And we've experienced it. And we know it. Again, let's compare that to what he writes in the Gospels. In his first chapter again, verse 14, he says, The Word became flesh. The Word being Jesus. The Word became flesh and lived among us. And we've seen His glory. The glory has of God's only Son, full of grace and truth. He's telling us when we saw Jesus Christ, or when we see Jesus Christ today, we're seeing the face of God. Jesus is God among us. He walked here among us. When we hear Jesus' words, you're forgiven. We experience His mercy. When we hear Him say, you're my son, we feel that love, don't we? When we hear Him say, I call you friend, like He did in the upper room to the disciples that He talks to you and I and says, you're my friend, we feel His grace. We know He's the one. Back in 1 John, he writes this in verse 3. We declare to you what we have seen and heard so that you may also have fellowship with us. And truly, our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. We are writing these things so that our joy may be made complete. Notice, John has a purpose for writing what he writes, both in his epistle as well as in the Gospels. He's giving his witness to tell us about Jesus Christ and the eternal life He's offered you and I. He's writing for a reason. To convince us 
us today as well as those that were reading then to convince them that Jesus Christ was who he said he was and that he could do what he also said he could do. Look at what Jesus himself said. John wrote this. It's red letters in our Bible, but it's in the Gospel of John. But, But John wrote this. Look at how the Spirit impressed this upon John. Jesus said to them, Have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet come to believe. Guess what? That's anybody after about 120 A.D., we'll say. That's you and I today. We believe, but we haven't seen Jesus the way they did. We haven't been able to stick our finger in his hand or our hand in his side. We haven't been able to eat fish with him, but we do eat with him every time we take communion. We have experienced him, but maybe not seen him physically. John writes, now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so you may come to believe. See, there's that purpose again. So that you can come to believe and that the Son of God, with and through believing, you may have life in his name. He's telling us, I'm seeing this. I'm testifying to this. I want you to believe it too. Now, remember... John's writing this, and we're, let, let's just, just for the sake of argument, let's pick that 70 A.D. date. That's still 40 years after the resurrection. Resurrection, for the test, I had to put 29 A.D., okay? That's the test. But resurrection occurred somewhere around 30 A.D. And if John wrote his gospel and said, that's 40 years he's had to think about this and figure out what's going on. But look what he wrote in his gospel when Jesus stood before the tomb of Lazarus. Most of you could repeat this to me. Jesus said to her, her being Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, even though they die, yet shall they live. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? John, even back then, was telling us Jesus is the key to eternal life. It's all about Jesus. Jesus holds the keys to life and death. Jesus is the beginning and the end, the Alpha and the Omega. He'll repeat that in his book of Revelation. Jesus is the very breath of life itself in his gospel. Jesus is the one that makes life worth living. Jesus affirmed that, that he was the one that made life living. In the gospel of John, when he said this, the thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy, but I came that you may have life and have it abundantly. Have it to the fullest, depending on the version you. You know what Jesus is saying there? I've come that so you can enjoy life today, not in the future in heaven, although you're going to enjoy that, but you can start enjoying it right now with me because I am the life. That's what he's telling you. Amen. He's the life. You don't have life without him. Not real life. Jesus came so that we could enjoy life here as well as eternally. And John continues to point that out in his epistle. 1 John 1, verse 5, he says, This is the message we've heard from him, and we proclaim to you that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. Light equals life, correct? And he echoes this in 1 John 1, 9. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. Jesus is the true light of this world. Not you or I. Not mankind, not the scientists, not the college professors, not education, not anything a bunch of us get together and we decide this is what it's going to be. Jesus is the life, and he's the light, 
And nothing else is. And if anything else is, it's a bald-faced lie. Don't even believe it. They tell you mankind can solve all these problems. I can tell you right now, we can't. We've tried for 2,000 plus years. Jesus Christ is the only one that can solve our problems. Jesus Christ. Not Buddha. Not Muhammad. Not anybody else you want to throw out there. Only Jesus Christ. Now, I need to do some explaining a little bit before I go to the next verse because I need to explain an idea that has crept into the church and especially into the American church and the north and the uh, let me let me use the term the church that's in um, the civilized first first world if you will we have this idea that Jesus Christ came and he saves us and that's great for you and I and it's an individual idea that hey I'm saved I'm okay I'm going to be with Jesus I don't need nothing else. Well, that's not the way Scripture speaks, and that's not what Jesus talks about. We are saved individually. There is no doubt about that. But we're saved individually be put, to be put in a group called the church, a group that's called the body of Christ. Salvation is for the believer, but it's also to incorporate us into the larger community of faith, the church. In other words, the greater good is not for the individual, but for the witness of the church. In fact, if you go to our hymnal, and if you look at our baptismal vows, when we baptize a person, even a child, when we baptize them, we commit them to the community of faith to be taught and to be uh, brought up, if you will, and mature in the scriptures. They're committed to be together. We ask the church to nurtured child if you will and the person that's being baptized to take that admonishment that that mentorship if you will and grow within him now here's what john said this is the way he put it first john 1 6 if we say we have fellowship with him while we're walking in darkness we lie and we do not do what is true but if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light we have fellowship with one another. Notice that. We have fellowship with one another. In other words, when we walk in the light of Jesus, we've already said Jesus is the light, nobody else is. When we walk in his light, we're going to have fellowship with him and with one another. Hallelujah. Thank you. Thank you, Linda. You got it. It's bigger than you and I. It's about the believers. And guess what? I hate to tell you this, Sandy. But it's about believers more than this church and more than the United Methodist Church. It's about all of us, whoever believes, wherever we are around the world, no matter if we're Baptist or Presbyterian or Pentecostal or Independent or anything else. It's about all of us. Jesus is the light we walk in. If we're not walking in Him, we're in the dark. And, and notice the other piece there that I didn't read. The blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sins. What can wash away our sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And there's a movement out there to take the blood out of the hymnals. It ain't happening with me. Nothing washes away the sin but the blood of Jesus. That blood that flowed down that cross is the only hope you and I have. That we're cleansed and washed with it, and that empty tomb promises us that we have eternal life with him. Jesus echoes all of this. 
that we are one in him, if you will. In John 13, he said this, I give you a new commandment, that you love one another. And just as I love, have loved you, you should love one another. By this, everyone knew, will know you're my disciples when you have love for one another. That brings us together, doesn't it? If you love one another, you're a group, if you will. You're a community. You're the church doing what it's supposed to do. Jesus echoed this in John 15 when John wrote, This is my commandment. You love one another as I have loved you. No one has greater love than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. Now, think about when Jesus said this. This was at the Last Supper in John. This was about I don't know, 24 hours before he was going to be on the cross. Maybe not even that much. Probably more like about 18 hours. He said this, no one has greater love than to give their life for another. And what does he do? He goes out and gives his life for you and I. Wow. Loving one another will join us in union. It will wed us to each other, if you will. It brings us into God's family. Jesus echoed this when we celebrate communion, which we did Sunday. In Matthew, when he instituted the Lord's Supper, and I chose Matthew because of the wording, he puts it this way. Says, While they were eating, Jesus took a loaf of bread. And after blessing it, he broke it. Gave it to his disciples. Said, take, eat. This is my body. We say this once a month, don't we? And afterwards, he took the cup. And after giving thanks, gave it to them, saying, drink from it, all of you. He goes on there and he says, this is my body which is given for you. When we celebrate communion, we celebrate the fact that we're one. We celebrate the fact that we're in, together in unison in Christ, if you will, in his body as we come together as the church. We're the body of Christ bought by the blood of Christ and the flesh of Christ. It's he that united us, not us. It's he that takes away our sin, not us. It's he that makes us righteous, not anything we do. But here's how John put it in his epistle. He says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth's not in us. But if we confess our sins, he who is faithful and just will forgive us our sins. Wow, that's great, isn't it? Now, the first chapter ends there. And remember, I taught you this. We didn't always have chapter and verses. Look at what... Chapter 2, verse 1, look at how it starts. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. I'm not sure that should be taken away from if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us. Because that just told us that you don't want to sin, you've got that power. Do you, do you see what it says there? I'm writing these things so you may not sin. If you believe what I'm telling you, if you allow Jesus Christ to live in you, guess what? You don't have to worry about that other stuff. Because you're going to be loving God so much, you're not going to be sinning. You know, this is an old Methodist doctrine called holiness, but you don't hear it much anymore. It was also called sanctification, an entire sanctification also use the word perfection. You don't hear it much anymore. But Jesus can live in us to such a degree that sin becomes something that really doesn't tempt us the way it does others. If we live in him the way we're supposed to. 
I write these things so you may not sin. In other words, stay rooted in Jesus Christ. John showed us this in his gospel. If you remember, you got to add, put the dots together, if you will. But remember when the woman caught in adultery was brought to him and was cast down in front of him? And he looked at him and he said, if, you, if you're without sin, you cast the first stone. Then later on, says Jesus straightened up and he said to her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? He said, no one, sir. They had all left. But Jesus says, neither do I condemn you. Go your way and from now on do not sin again. Mercy. Grace. Love. I love you. Don't do this again. But I'm not going to hold it against you. Yeah. We think, is that unusual? Not really. Jesus is the one that forgives us. Y'all remember the Apostle Paul, right? You know, he stood before King Agrippa one time, defended the faith. Look at the way Paul put it when he was standing before Agrippa. He's telling him about his experience on the Damascus Road. You may remember that when he was struck down and blinded. Did I ask, who are you, Lord? The Lord, the Lord answered, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. But get up, stand on your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you to serve and testify to the things which you have seen me, and to do those which I appear to you. I will rescue you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you, to open their eyes so they may turn from darkness to light, and for the power of Satan to God, so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Same message today. We're saved by Jesus Christ. We're forgiven of our sins by Him. We are sanctified, there's that Methodist doctrine again, by faith in Him. It's all about Jesus. It was the power of the resurrected Jesus that forgave and sanctified Paul to make him the great apostle he was. It's the power of Jesus that forgives and sanctifies you and I today that makes us a part of the body of Christ and allows us to witness for him. John ended his gospel this way. He said this, This is the disciple who is testifying these things. Again, he's reminding us, I saw these things. And he's written them, and we know that his testimony is true. But there are also many other things Jesus did. And if every one of them were written down, I suppose the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. You realize how many books that would be? Just take the city of Lakeland and go to their four or five libraries and how many books would that be? And then add the school libraries and add some of the church libraries. Jesus must have done an awful lot of things then. If Paul could, or if John could write this, the books of the world could not be contained there. Notice what John's doing. He's pleading with us. He's pleading us to believe in Jesus Christ as the Messiah. Believe He's the Son of God. Believe that He's the one that has eternal life. And believe that He loves you and you can have it too. That's what He's telling us. In fact, go all the way back to the beginning of John's Gospel. John chapter 1, he wrote this. To all who received Him, 
to all who believed in his name, that being the name of Jesus. He gave the power to become children of God. Who were born not of the blood or of the will of flesh, but of the, or the will of man, but born of God. Because they believed in Jesus Christ, the cross, and the resurrection. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, as Paul said, and you shall be saved. Yay! Amen. Yay! So, so what did John believe? He believed Jesus Christ was the Messiah. Jesus Christ was the Son of God. Jesus Christ was the true light, the true light. And that if we would attest to that, that others too would believe. And that we could become one in body and we could be the church that Jesus Christ was calling us to be. That's what he believed. Do you believe it? Let's go to him in prayer as the choir gets ready to lead us in song. Lord, we again thank you for this beautiful day that you have given us. Even more, I thank you for the beautiful empty tomb, for the beautiful face of Jesus Christ. Thank you for the cross. Thank you that you have made yourself alive to each of us. Thank you that you have broken into our life. And I pray that you'd break into the life of those who don't know you yet. If there's anyone listening or even people that are sitting here, some of our kin people, our friends, our co-workers that don't believe even now, Crack the door for the light to get in. Crack the door so they can begin to see the love of Christ and the true light of the world found in you, found in Jesus Christ, our loving Savior. We ask this in your name. Amen. Our choir is going to lead us as we sing, He Lives. So I invite you to stand for that. <coughs> Jeff, Cindy Heisman, Joyce Webb, Linda Thacker, Betty and Tom Fisher, Sally Jester, Jack with... The Shepherds, Joanne Beebe, Phyllis Michael, and then it stops. But we're glad to have you with us. Amen. Amen. I remind you that to support this ministry, you can send your donations to Lake Gibson UMC. Uh, we're at 424 West Daughtery Road in Lakeland, Florida. But you can also go to the website, lakegibsonumc.com. There's ways to give on there. There's even a way you can text give. I'm not smart enough. I can't make that work. What makes you think I can make this work? And I'm afraid if I text give one time, it would empty my bank account. But that's a different story. Uh, some, some people are smart enough to do that. Um, hopefully you've been sending in some prayer requests. I saw a few of those online just now. So Christy, have you got the prayer request ready? Dick Shepard's asking us to pray for Robert Kiertig, recovering from hernia surgery. Also for Beverly Lindsay, having heart abulation this week to fix an AFib, okay? Good morning from Joy and Baby. Praise the Lord that my niece, Jill Monroe, was to go home from the hospital yesterday. Pray for continued healing for her. By the way, that's just God rolling the stone away. Don't worry about it. <laughs> Any others, Christy? Okay, you've seen the events that are going on in the news. Um, we want to pray for those families that have been affected by violence this week. Uh, we need to pray for um, the friend, our friends over in England. You know, that's where John Wesley was from, and with Prince Philip's death, there's, there's a lot of people affected there. We just want to pray for God's presence to be with them, and for God to be shown through all of this and, and make a way. And you know the other things going on in our lives around here, the things that are still being discussed. Piney Point, while it's no longer a threat at this point. You know how many gyps facts we have in Polk County? 
If not, let me take you down to where I'm from, from Fort Meade and Bartow and Mulberry and that area, and you can see them all over the place. So we need to pray for stuff like that and other things that, that would not, uh, they would figure out a way to take care of that without harming us to a great degree. And, you know, the, the events that are going on were, let me just put it this way, people seemed a lot like one another. So let's pray. Fathers, we come before your throne of grace again this day. I thank you. I thank you that you live. I thank you live in our heart. I thank you that we can celebrate that. I thank you that we don't have to just stay in a corner, but we can come out and we can boldly confess Jesus Christ is alive and lives in me. And you better be glad he does because it has changed who I am. And it has made me a person that can enjoy life rather than go through it. I'm a hoe, if you will. Lord, as we come, we know that there are many requests today, and you've heard those listed this day. Those who are sick, those who need a special touch, those who have lost loved ones, whether it be from an act of violence or from an automobile accident, or even those who are still passing from COVID or cancer or whatever else it may be. We lift them before you and ask you to have mercy upon them, to even in the midst of death to bring your truth out and and allow them those that are experiencing this to look in that empty tomb and know there is hope for the believer in the resurrection of Jesus Christ that we can be reunited in you for all those who are sick we continue to lift them before you and ask doctors and caregivers to to be gentle with them and that you would infuse them with the knowledge they may need to help them as they go through chemos and diagnosis and surgeries and whatever else may be going on whoever it may be may you be there and may you lead and guide every person there pray for those that are dealing with our government whether it be our hoa right up to our legislature here in the state as well as the congress and the president ask your guidance upon them for all those areas where things seem to be falling apart May your Holy Spirit hold them together, and may you allow people that are hurting to get the help they may need this day. And may you even now move upon those that you have in your kingdom. Move upon them the help in the ways that you want them to, the ways that you would have them to, so that others can have what they need to survive, to live a good existence, and to feel good about themselves. Go with us now. We ask in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Um, let's see. Am I, don't forget the Zooming the Peace. It's going to be starting in five minutes. And my Bible study will be Thursday at 1 p.m. We're on 1 Corinthians chapter 16. You can join us by checking the Zoom link on the website. Until next week, have a great day. Have a good afternoon and hope to see you back next week.